In Moses, uh, sorry, in chapter seven to eleven, Moses uh, reminds Old Testament Israel of the stunning grace of God that they would be moved to obey the Lord their God. Throughout this series, though, we've seen that it's Christ who makes sense of the Old Testament, uh, Christ that makes sense of the bits of the Bible that we're reading. So we're going to do that now. We're going to turn to Christ and see how he makes sense of this truth that it's the grace of God that moves us to obey him. So turn with me, please, to Ephesians chapter 2. Keep your finger or a bookmark or something in Deuteronomy, but just briefly let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2. As you do that... A quick word about, a heads up about what the word grace means. Uh, When the Bible uses the word grace, it's not talking about giving thanks before a meal. Uh, When the Bible uses the word grace, it's the idea of an undeserved gift. It's receiving something good that you don't deserve. And in Ephesians, the grace of God that is in Christ Jesus is very clearly not deserved. So Ephesians chapter 2, we'll start at verse 3. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. Starts in a bleak place, doesn't it? All of us, like the rest, we were objects of wrath, following the desires and the thoughts of the sinful nature, enslaved by sin, under the wrath of God, even an object of the wrath of God, but... But, verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. All sinners, all slaves of sin, all trapped in sin, all under the wrath of God, but because of his great love for us, out of the mercy of God, even when we were dead in sin, it is by grace... We have been saved. Down to verse 8. Verse 8. For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. This not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by works. So that no one can boast. Being saved from the wrath of God. Rescued out of sin. To be included in the people of God. It is not by works. It is not of ourselves. No one can boast. Because it is the gift of God. We are saved by grace. And Christ died to save us so that we could be his people who live to do good works. Verse 10. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Saved by grace. To do good works. What God wants us to walk out of here with this morning is an understanding of His incredible grace, a fresh realization of the extraordinary lengths He went to to save us to be His people so that we would walk out of here living a life saturated in good works. You ready for that? Let's turn back to Deuteronomy. Chapter 7 is where we're going to be. To start with, Deuteronomy 7. And in chapters 7 through to 11, uh, Moses is reminding the Old Testament Israelites before they head into the promised land, he's reminding them of God's grace to them. That it is only by the hand of God that they stand there as the people of God. And so 
Moses spends four chapters spelling out four different ways in which God has showered his grace on the Israelites so that they will then obey the Lord their God. Uh, In chapter 7, Moses is telling the Israelites that when they go into the promised land, they need to kick everybody out, all the nations that are in there. They've got to drive them out. God is giving them this land, but he's not giving them the land because they're a really impressive people and a fantastic bunch of... They weren't impressive at all. The reason why God's giving them the land is because God simply chose the Israelites to be his people. So Deuteronomy chapter 7, we'll pick it up in verse 6. Verse 6. Moses is talking to the Israelites and he says, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. God didn't choose the Israelites because they were the most impressive, the biggest or the strongest. In fact, we're told here they were the fewest, the smallest, the puniest of all peoples. They had nothing to impress God with. It's just simply that God chose them. And that's like us. We saw in Ephesians, there's nothing in us, is there, that impresses God. In Ephesians, we are but sinners. There's nothing in us that impresses God and makes... You know, he goes, wow, look at that person. I really need to. He didn't look at your intellectual ability and think, now there's someone I need to have on my team. God wasn't wowed by your charm, your personality. He didn't look at your bank balance and think, man, there's a lot of money there. I'm going to need to have that person on my team. God didn't, he didn't see your sporting ability, your intellectual ability, your social ability. He didn't see any. What did God see in us from Ephesians? But sinners. Objects of his wrath. Nothing in us to impress God. He just chose us. Back to Deuteronomy. And uh, have a look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. God didn't choose Israel because they were impressive, but why was it? Verse 8. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your forefathers that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. God chose the Israelites out of love. The puniest, smallest, fewest nation, and he chose them out of love, out of faithfulness to his promises. He promised their forefather Abraham, more than 400 years before this moment, that his descendants would be his people. Abraham's descendants, the people of God. He'll bring them in and in faithfulness to that promise, he has got this nation here before him. Back then in the day of Moses in the Old Testament. Out of love for them, out of faithfulness. And that's the same as us, isn't it? We saw in Ephesians, because of God's great love for us, he saved us. He did not set his affection on us. He did not love us because we impressed him, because there was anything in us to commend us to him. It was out of love, out of his own love for us that he has saved us. It is nothing of us. It is all of his love and his grace. Now back to Deuteronomy and all this talk of the Israelites being the smallest, the puniest, the weakest of all nations probably made them scared because remember they're on the edge of the promised land, they're about to go into the land of Canaan, there's all these other nations and apparently they're going to beat them up and get them out of there and they're thinking how can we do that? We're the smallest, we're the weakest, we're the puniest and they're probably a little bit scared and the answer, the answer to their fear 
the grace of God. Pick it up in chapter 7, verse 17. Verse 17, you may say to yourselves, these nations are stronger than we are. How can we drive them out? But do not be afraid of them. Remember well what the Lord your God did to Pharaoh and to all Egypt. You saw with your own eyes the great trials, the miraculous signs and wonders, the mighty hand and outstretched arm with which the Lord your God brought you out. The Lord your God will do the same to all the peoples you now fear. What did Israel do to get out of Egypt? Did they muster up this army? Did they come up with some clever strategy to sneak out at night time? No, what did they do to get out of Egypt? They did nothing. Moses says, remember well how the Lord your God brought you out. The plagues, the Red Sea, it was all God. He defeated the army. He got you out. He made Pharaoh look small. It was the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt and it, was the Lord your, it is the Lord your God who will get you into the promised land. It is the grace of God, the power of God. It is all God's effort. And that's the same with us again, isn't it? We saw this back in Ephesians. It's nothing of us to get us saved, to be the people of God. What did we do? To make ourselves one of God's beloved people? Did we muster up enough good works to be able to impress God? Was it our CV? Was it our intellect? Was it our... What did we do? The answer? Nothing. We did nothing. It's all the grace of God. Not of ourselves. Not of our works. But the grace and the gift of God. In the Lord Jesus Christ dying our death for us. Taking the wrath of God for us. Dying in our place for our sin. He did it all. It is all but the grace of God. It's like you're drowning in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. I hope this never happens to you. Drowning in the middle of the Pacific Ocean and there's no land, there's no boat, no life jacket, you've got no food, no water, you've got no energy. You're going to drown. And then out of nowhere comes a helicopter and the people in the helicopter send down a ladder and someone shimmies down the ladder and they pick you up and they get you out. You're going to drown. You, you were going to die. Couldn't save yourself. But the people of the helicopter, they saved you. We're sinners under the wrath of God. Can't save ourselves. But Jesus comes down and he died our death that we might be saved. He saved us, not us. All him, none of us. Grace of God, undeserved. It is all the work of God. Back to Deuteronomy uh, and Israel. They're not God's people because they're impressive, they're, but it's purely out of the love and the faithfulness that God chose them. They didn't save themselves to be God's people. It's God who saved them. It is all the grace of God. And there's even more to the grace of God than just this. It's that he preserved them every day of their life. The only reason that that generation of Israelites were alive that day when Moses was talking to them is because God had kept them alive every single day right to that very day. Wandering around in the desert for 40 years and every day God gave them food. He preserved them. Go across to chapter 8 and pick it up in verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Be careful to follow every command I'm giving you today so that you may live and increase and may enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on earth to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth 
of the Lord. For 40 years, every single day, reminded that they needed God. 40 years, wandering around in the desert, and every day God gives them bread. Every day they've got to wake up. Are we going to be fed today? Am I going to starve today? And every day God gave them food. Day after day after day, for 40 years, a constant reminder, they need God. They do not live on bread alone. They live on the word of God, the grace of God. And this lesson that they learnt in the desert was to stay with them once they were in the promised land. Because in one sense, it's easy to know this lesson when they're wandering around the desert and God's feeding them every single day. Of course they need God. But when they get into the promised land, they're going to live in abundance. Because the land that the Lord their God is giving them is rich. It is bountiful. It is in abundance. And so they're going to have lots and lots. And, and in their abundance, Moses says, when you get there and when God gives you everything, do not forget that you need the Lord your God. Do not forget him. Obey him. So I go down to verse 10. Verse 10, when you have eaten and are satisfied, chapter 8, verse 10, praise the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. Be careful that you do not forget the Lord your God, failing to observe his commands, his laws and his decrees that I'm giving you this day. Otherwise, when you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, and when your herds and flocks grow large and your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. See, once they're in the promised land and everything's good, Moses says, don't forget. Don't forget the Lord your God, the Lord your God who you need, the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery, and he did more than that besides. Keep going. Verse 15. He led you through the vast and dreadful desert, that thirsty and waterless land with its venomous snakes and scorpions. He brought you water out of hard rock. He gave you manna to eat in the desert. In their abundance, when they get to the promised land, don't forget the Lord your God gave you everything you have. Don't forget him in your abundance. Remember him and obey him. And that's like us too, isn't it? As we enjoy the abundance of God, as we enjoy the blessings of God, that we, through Jesus Christ, we can talk to the God of all creation intimately as our own personal Heavenly Father, that we have the blessing of God, that we can hear him speak to us if we would but open our Bibles and read. We have the blessing of God and that we are surrounded by a church family with brothers and sisters in Christ to help us live in this world following the Lord Jesus. That we have the blessing of God that he's come to us personally himself in his Holy Spirit that he is our God and we are his children. The blessing of God that we are now free from the guilt of sin, completely forgiven. The blessing of God that we have the assurance of eternal life, all this abundance that we have and we are not to forget that it has all come to us through Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. We are not to forget that it has all been the grace of God through Jesus. And so we live for Jesus, the one through whom it has all come. Everything in chapters 7 and 8 in Deuteronomy is a big reminder to the Israelites about how God has done everything for them. He chose them, he loved them, he was faithful to them, he saved them, he preserved them. It is all God. 
Israel were his people only by the grace of God. And then we get to chapter 9 and we discover it's even more than that. It's that it has all been God and his goodness and his grace and his love and it has all been despite Israel's wickedness. For one and a half chapters now, at chapter 9, Moses is going to catalogue some of the sins and the wickedness of Israel to highlight just how wonderful the grace of God is. Pick it up in chapter 9, verse 4. Chapter 9, verse 4. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, that's the nations in the promised land, and when he's got you in there, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it's on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord's going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you're going in to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Understand then that it's not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess, for you are a stiff-necked people. They're a sinful people. They're a stiff-necked people. They're a wicked people. Uh, from chap- uh, verse 7 on, Moses recounts the, one of the most tragic and evil events in the Old Testament, the episode of the golden calf. At the very moment when Moses goes up on the mountain to receive the law of God, at the very time when God is giving them the law, what, does the, what do the Israelites do at the foot of the mountain? But gather their gold together, shove it in a fire, form a calf... And say, there's our God, the one that brought us out of Egypt. At the very time God is speaking to Moses on the mountain to give them the law and they make an idol. But it wasn't just the golden calf that highlighted their sin. Go across to chapter 22. They've been like this the whole time. Verse 22, chapter 9. You also made the Lord angry at Taborah, at Massa, and at Kibroth Hadavah. And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, verse 23, he said, Go up and take possession of the land I've given you. But you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You did not trust him, Horabat. You've been rebellious against the Lord ever since I've known you. This nation has only ever been wicked, sinful and rebellious. And yet, this is the nation that God has saved and loved and been faithful to, the one he has chosen and set his affection on, the grace of God. A star shines brightly against a dark night sky, does it not? The grace of God shines brightly against the wickedness of his people. And again, that's the same for us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3, we're wicked. All of us, like the rest, by nature, objects of wrath. Like the rest, followed sinful desires and thoughts, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature. God's choice of us, his love of us, his faithfulness to us, his salvation of us, his abundant blessing of us, it is all in the face of our sinfulness. We are saved only by the grace of God. And for the Israelites, God's grace meant obedience. And not reluctant obedience, but the privilege and honour of having the one true God as their God. Them being the people of God, by grace and his love, they are his people, and so they are to observe his commands and to walk in his ways. Chapter 10 and verse 12. Chapter 10, verse 12. And now, O Israel, 
What does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord set his affection on your forefathers and loved them. And he chose you, their descendants, above all the nations as it is today. Circumcise your hearts, therefore, and do not be stiff-necked any longer. Out of all the nations, out of all creation, God set his affection on Israel. Wicked Israel. And he loved them and he made them his own by his grace so that they were his own people. So that they would fear the Lord and walk in his ways and love him and revere him and serve him with all of their heart and soul and they would observe the Lord's commands. The incredible grace of God to this incredibly undeserving people so that they would be his people and obey him. And it's the same for us. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2. Because as grand as all this was for the Old Testament Israelites, this incredible, repeated showering of the grace of God upon his people, that they would be his, his treasured possession, holy to him, obedient to him, with the privilege and honour of being his people, the God of all the universe. It's just a little teaser, really, in the end, for the real show that comes in Christ and him for us. So chapter 2, verse 8. Look at these remarkable words again. Chapter 2, verse 8 of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ sent his Son by his grace to save us, to save us from sin. The Lord Jesus Christ came to save us from the horrifying judgment of God. He came to save us from the clutches of sin, from the fiery pits of hell. He came to save us, to set us free from the fear of death, to bring us into the freedom of being the children of God, to be blessed by God, to be adopted by God, to be loved and forgiven by God, to save us for himself, God the Son took on frail flesh and in humiliation was scorned and abandoned and beaten and abused and crucified and killed for us. We've been saved by grace so that we'd belong to him, loved by him, blessed by him, saved by him. To do good works, to be obedient to him. Verse 10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Next week, we're going to think about the detail of the limitless possibilities and the focus of our good works, of our obedience to God, But for today, what God wants us to understand is that being saved by grace compels us to do good works. And look, just to be absolutely clear, doing good works is not what saves us. 
In our verse 9, we're not saved by works. It's not that anyone can boast. This is not of ourselves. Being saved is a gift of God. It's by his grace. Doing good works doesn't save us. We're saved by the grace of God. And this amazing grace of God, it moves us to obey him. Michael Orr is an American fellow. Michael was one of 12 children. He, uh, his mum was addicted to drugs. His father was frequently in prison. Uh, he went to 11 different schools uh, in nine years. At the age of seven, he was placed in foster homes, uh, but he frequently ran away, and uh, so he alternated between foster care and homelessness. That was Michael's life. Uh, a friend's uh, dad in, managed to enrol Michael in a school, but the teachers often noticed that he had nowhere to call home. And so at least five families associated with the school would have Michael into their home. Uh, And one of those families was the Tui family. It was an open arrangement. Michael could sort of shift from different family to different family, and that's what he did. But eventually, he settled on the Tui family as the place where he would, if you like, call home. Now, when he was asked why he chose the Tuis, why did he settle there, if you like, this is what he said. When I moved in with Leanne and Sean Tui, I felt loved, like part of a family. In the other houses, I didn't feel like part of the family. I didn't feel like they wanted me there. Michael stayed with the Tuis because they loved him. And he was extremely grateful. Extremely grateful for their love, for their provision, for their generosity, because Michael knew that he had done absolutely nothing to make the Tuis take him into their home. He didn't deserve their love. And yet, out of grace, out of love, the Tuis took Michael in and made him part of their family. And so Michael became one of the Tuis. He took his place as one of the Tuis. You can well imagine, he didn't tear their house apart when he was let into their home. He took his place as one of the children. He helped out around the home. He obeyed his mum and dad because by the grace of the Tuis, Michael had become one of their children. And so he lived as one of their children. By the grace of God, we have become the children of God. And so we live as the children of God. We're grateful for God's love and his provision. We're grateful for his generosity. We're grateful for his salvation. God's grace, it should put a fire in our belly. And with God as our heavenly father, we have the honor and the privilege of living as his children. He's glad, he's humble, he's obedient, he's fired up children. We've been saved by grace. That's why we obey him. I'll pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your incredible grace that in Jesus you have given us everything for our salvation, all things for life and godliness. Thank you that it's his death and his resurrection in our place for our sin, that he died under your wrath for our sakes, that we might be saved. Father, help us to understand the extraordinary lengths that Jesus went to to make us your people. And help us to understand that we are yours, we belong to you, that we might gladly and humbly live in obedience to you, our wonderful Heavenly Father. Father, it's our delight to be your children. 
And so we pray you would help us by your spirit to gladly obey you for all that you've done for us in Christ. And we ask it in his name. Amen.